are, who he is, and how that helps us to actually better love one another without fear. So uh, today we'll conclude, like I mentioned, our seven-week study of the fear of man. So we've thought about the various ways we tend to struggle with the fear of man. We've thought about um, how to start seeing God as bigger um, and to stop seeing people, our fellow men, as bigger than God is, which is shown in our fear of them. Uh, so we want to see God as bigger than people. We want to fear him and stop fearing people, right? So we can talk about that, and it sounds easy to communicate it, to receive it, to say, okay, well, I shouldn't fear men. I should fear God. But what does it look like to actually do that? Um, the opposite response to fearing people is not simply to stop fearing them, but to love and honor God first and then to love them well. So it's not like a sort of switch you can flip on and you flip off and you say, okay, I don't fear men anymore. That's the solution. But something has to happen um, in that resolve in between the fear of man and not fearing man. And that thing in the middle is to fear God rightly, right? To have him as bigger than the fear of men. So as we poorly fear the Lord, we will grow in our desire and ability uh, to love God and love his neighbors and, 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 and to love our neighbors rightly. As we consider what it means to love God and neighbor, I'd encourage you to be thinking again, even right now, about those situations and people that you tend to fear. So who are they? Um, why do you fear them? <clears throat> and be specific. So you can think about 10, 15 people, but maybe think about one or two people where you feel okay, this is an area where I struggle with the fear of man. And really consider your heart and do a sort of self-diagnosis and ask yourself those tough questions. What about this person? What about our relationship makes me fear this person? And really think through that and then pray. Pray for your heart. Pray for that person. Pray for your relationship that the Lord would um, mend it and that he would fix that relationship. Remember, Growing in the fear of the Lord and love for others is not an overnight process, right? The fear of man can be a lifelong temptation. We should seek to always repent and keep our eyes fixed on God, of course, confident that he will complete the work that he began in us. So we can think about um, what we would see as big sins, right? So um, this person really struggles with, um, you know, an addiction to, to gambling, or this person really struggles with an addiction to lust, the pornography, or this person really struggles with, with pride. Um, and this is a lifelong pursuit. And we have seminars and camps for these things. Um, but we don't often consider that the fear of man is a vice. It's a, it's a chain. It's a, it's a snare of Satan, even. And we should be diligent to watch for that. Because I think it's one of those, um, as uh, Jerry Bridges would call, uh, those respectable sins, where it's there. Um, everybody struggles with it, but we don't really actually talk about it and see it in those categories. So that's what we want to talk about today, sort of a new vision moving forward. <clears throat> so first, and you'll see this on your handout, a reorientation to God that is from God. So we are only able to understand what it means to love others instead of fearing them as we understand and live in the reality of our changed relationship with God. That's the root. Because he loved us, we fear and love him. Because he loved us, we need to love others. 
we have a debt to pay towards others and it's actually love. Uh, Romans 13, eight says, owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves and the, the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Owe no one anything except to love them. So we need other people, but living in the fear of God is not demonstrated by what other people say to us, give to us, or do to us. So yes, we ought to have good relationships with, with other people, but our love for them and our love for God and how we sense God's love for us shouldn't be contingent upon that person that we fear when we run into them and they say something and it becomes so crushing to us. We project that onto the love of God for us. Um, that's a, an ordinate, uh, um, a wrong way to view a relationship and to have a relationship. Um, now let me have you turn to 1 John 4, 7 to 12. 1 John 4, 7 to 12. And let me have someone read that. And as we read this, or whoever reads this, listen to what this text is saying about God's love towards us, our love towards him, and our love towards others. 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Who wants to read that for us? Go ahead, Roger. Thank you. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that, that God sent his Son, only begotten Son, into the world, so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his Son Beloved, if God so loved us, we we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Okay, thank you. So again, this is, the word here has given us a right orientation of love. And you see this connection between love and fear here, right? God's love uh, displayed to us is costly. Uh, God's love sent Jesus, the only begotten Son of the Father, to the cross to die. In his incarnation, in his incarnation rather, um, to accomplish salvation, Jesus provides the ultimate example of one that loves at a costly price. It's difficult, it's painful, Now, as we think about what it means to love others instead of fearing them, we must first learn to understand God's love for us. Now, as we are sort of reoriented to God, we recognize his gracious choice to love us. And this doesn't cause us to sort of boast or have this inordinate self-esteem. It actually does the opposite. Considering the love of God, it devastates our own pride and our own self-righteousness, right? Because we know that we couldn't come to God offering anything. Um, The Bible says that our good works are as filthy rags. Uh, The good things that we do, apart from the power of the Spirit, is filthy rags. Um, The Bible says he, he didn't save us according to works done by us in righteousness, it says in Titus. So again, God's love for us crushes our own, our own pride. 
In Ephesians 1, 5 to 6, Paul says, He, God, predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he blessed us in the beloved. Paul later says that because of God's gracious work in election and granting faith, we have no room to boast. Right? That's, that's taken away completely. Now, if God has acted this way towards us, how can we act with anything less than love towards others? If God has already accepted us in Christ, why do we still allow ourselves to be enslaved by the desire for acceptance from others? So the, at the heart of the fear of man is, in some sense, not believing in the promises of the gospel, that we are accepted by God by virtue of Christ's righteousness in our place. Right, so there's a connection here between the fear of man and believing the gospel. Now with this reorientation, we no longer look to people for acceptance. Instead, we look to love others in such a way that it points them towards Christ and God's acceptance of us in Christ. Right, so finally, as we are reoriented to God, we are able to rejoice in the fact that God has accepted us, that he protects us, that he covers us, and the love of God towards us is redemptive. Um, it's free grace, unearned grace, and that should change our relationships with other people. So that means that when you come across this person um, who has this sort of grip on you and how you view yourself um, over and above, at that time at least, over and above what God says of you, how does the gospel and how does acceptance from God and Christ inform that? Um, when you walk past that person and they give you a look or they say something and it ruins your day or ruins your week because they are in your mind so big that they have that much sort of authority um, the gospel has to inform that. Uh, the gospel informs the fear of man in, in a way that doesn't just, again, flip the light switch on, off and say, okay, I don't fear him anymore. I don't fear her anymore. But has God is bigger in one's heart and mind, which is the right way to approach uh, the fear of, of man. Okay, let's, let's look at the uh, second point here, a reorientation to other people. Loving and serving, not fearing and needing. Now, because God's uh, costly love towards us, because it was, was costly, we can take big risks in our relationship with other people. Why? Because Christian believer, you are so rooted in God's love in Christ that acceptance of others' approval of you is not the foundation on which you stand anymore. All right, so this is, this is very important. This is key. Our reorientation to God helps us to see others' value and function. So what this means is, rather than saying, I don't want to fear this person anymore. I want to have a right fear of God. Um, therefore, this person, you know what? They're nothing to me. They're terrible. I don't need them. Right? So we have this sort of self-willed uh, perspective of not fearing man anymore. So we go from... Um, the fear of them to the hate of them, which is not better. <laughs> we, should all, we should go from the fear of them to a right love for them, which 
turns, kills, stomps out the fear of them. The reorientation towards God helps us to see others rightly. Others were not created to be feared by us, but to be loved by us. This goes contrary to what we hear in our culture. And what do you hear uh, in, in the workplace? Just look out for yourself. Uh, make sure you do whatever you need to do to climb the top of the ladder. Uh, or, so, or, or this dog-eat-dog -dog world. Uh, this worldly definition of success um, and how many people view it, uh, they feel it serves them well. Like, this is how you're supposed to live. This is the United States. We got to do what we got to do to climb out of the, you know, the, the crab bucket or whatever the phrase is. Um, but this is contrary to the Christian's worldview. So here's a question for you. How have you seen people treat one another badly in order to be seen as successful? So think about um, world, maybe workplace. Um, think about maybe family life. Think about church life. How have you seen people treat one another uh, badly in order to be seen as successful or to protect their, repu uh, their reputation? So what are some thoughts? What have you guys seen? I'm going to grab my canister of water. So work, um, church, home life, what have y'all seen? Bad ways that people have treated one another to protect their reputation. Matt? Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Manipulation, right? Um, gossip is saying behind someone's back, which you would never say to their face. Flattery is saying to their face, which you would never, never say behind their back. Right? This is manipulation. Right? And we do that to protect ourselves, to protect our reputation, to make sure that we look good before other people. What else? What's that? Okay. Right. So even from a young age, it's seen. Yep. Tattletelling on one another. Um, to make sure that we protect ourselves, self-preservation, and we'll, we'll lie and we'll deceive. Yep, I'm sure all of us have been guilty of that. Ostracizing. Okay. Someone's pushed out uh, of the conversation, pushed out of the fellowship, just ignored. Right, right. You know it. Yeah, so ostracizing. Uh, so um, keeping people out of whatever the conversation, Right there, there can be clicks, and we can make people feel like they don't belong in this church, in this crowd, in this in this community. Yep, that's another way. So all these, so we we can think of a ton of um, examples of uh, the bad stewardship of relationships um, in order to be seen as successful, in order to to thrive in this world. But as Christians, of course, we have a, we ought to have a different orientation. So what are some differences between loving and serving versus fearing 
and needed. Loving others is not necessarily the same thing as being nice to others. Sacrificing for others or saying yes to others um, is not always what should be done. In fact, sometimes niceness, sacrifice, saying yes can be the clothing that the fear of man hides in. Right? So we can become, uh, you hear that phrase, uh, yes men, where um, whatever this person we fear, whatever they're asking or whatever they're needing, um, instead of thinking consciously, clearfully, the reasoning mind through it, um, in order for them to view us a certain way, we'll just say, yes, I'll do that thing. And you can actually just end up enabling this person um, and giving fuel to the fire of this fear of man. And this is not the right approach. Um, Sometimes loving others means doing things that will not immediately seem nice or loving. Loving others will mean saying no at times. So in your ideas about how you love one another, is no a category? Or is it always, well, I have to serve them. I'm a Christian, so I must do this thing. that's a, that can sort of hide in the cloak of piety, but it can actually be a fear of man. Because what you're protecting is yourself, not uh, the, the glory of God and the fame of his, his name. Loving others will certainly involve sacrifice, but as we'll see in 1 Corinthians 13, sacrifice alone does not necessarily equal love, and it's not necessarily fueled by love. So, maybe you feel an intense desire to give to others and to sacrifice for them, but it's done out of a desire to keep them pleased or to keep them from rejecting you. Maybe you sacrifice and give to others that should, or rather, maybe you sacrifice and give to others that should be learning to take on more responsibility. This, again, may be the complete opposite of what it means to love others. So, we ought to pray for wisdom and to seek counsel and discernment in these areas. Um, because if, our, if we're saying, yes, here, I want to serve you in this way, and at the root of that is, well, I don't want them to reject me. If I say no, they're going to reject me. If I say no, they might look at me a certain way and talk about me to others. Then your yes, I want to serve you, comes from a heart of self-preservation and even that is a form of manipulation. And so we have to be on guard against these things because the fear of man can be very subtle. I mentioned this before. When we're tending to the garden of our hearts, we see uh, the bad fruit of a bunch of other things, maybe. But the fear of man is like this this weed. It springs up in a bunch of places and it it looks like grass. And you're like, oh, I got healthy. I, I have a healthy heart here. But It's a bunch of weeds of the fear of man. Loving others will not be easy. Um, Ed Welch says this. Uh, He's a a, uh, counselor, was was a counselor for a long time, has a good book called When um, God is Small and People Are Big. But he says this, loving others makes life less comfortable. It means that I give up my own agenda for Saturday morning in order to help a neighbor. It means that I get hurt when someone moves away. It means that people stay at our house when I would prefer to be surrounded by different friends or family. Isn't that just just like God's word, though? 
just when we think we have adapted to a comfortable lifestyle, it messes everything up. It tells us to love others in the same way that we have been loved by God. So love is vulnerable, right? When we expose ourselves to one another, when we tell someone about our week or about our day or about our month or about an argument we just had with our spouse, um, it's, it's vulnerable, right? It, it leaves us open to that person taking that information and doing whatever with it. Um, and that can cause us to sort of shriek back in fear. And so we never actually share with one another the truth about what we're thinking, about what we're feeling, right? And even that can be a fear of man. So we have to be on guard against that as well. So there's another question for you. From scripture, provide a characteristic of God's love that informs the way we should love others. So think about triune God. Uh, Think about the attributes of God, how the Bible describes God's love and how that informs how we should love others. So what, what comes to mind for you? How does God love you? Put it that way. At the end of a terrible work week <clears throat> or work day, when you've been terrible to your coworkers, you've dishonored your boss, you got to work late, you left early, <laughs> you yelled at the guy next to you on the way home in traffic, because it's Orlando and it's getting crazy and it happens. You get home, you don't spend time with your kids, maybe your wife gets into an argument, your husband gets into an argument, you lay down, <clears throat> does God say, You've had a terrible day today. My love for you, we'll see how it goes tomorrow, but today, not great. Not a great day for you. Is that how the Lord loves us? <laughs> no, he doesn't, right? So his love is um, conditioned upon his righteous son. <laughs> and, and that way, we are, our, God's love for us is, is secured. Um, is God love love for us? Is it partial? Um, does, does God have mood swings? Right? Now, granted, we're talking about God and we're talking about his creatures. There's a, a difference. But I'm just, I'm trying to put some fuel in your tanks here. How does God love you that informs how you should love others? Finding in those things reasons to be thankful and grateful, um, being slow to anger, right? Being willing to be sympathetic. Yep. All right. So God's God's love for us is God is not uh, quick to anger, right? Uh, he's He's uh, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That's how, how He's He's described. 
What else? What are some other things that come to mind? Roger? happens this is the reality but to your point having the gospel in mind this person needs the gospel more than anything else right they maybe they have sinned against me in some way but ultimately all sin is against god right the 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 lawgiver and so having that sort of gospel orientation which softens your heart to that person and uh, hopefully it reminds you to pray for that person and look for an opportunity to share the gospel with that person so, yeah, that, that's a good point as well, having the gospel in mind when you think about these people. Yeah. All right, well, let's, let's look to our, our third section here. Who do we need to love and serve? Who do we need to love and serve? So scripture provides several categories of those that we should love um, or that, that, that we should show love towards. Uh, first, God. Um, it is the, the duty of all men to love and to serve God. Um, as we have already considered the orientation we have towards God, we are able now to do as Christ said in Matthew 22, 37 to 38. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. So unlike uh, secular therapeutic culture that we find ourselves in, that knows no orientation towards God and stresses an inward orientation, sort of know thyself and to thy own self be true. Scripture points us another way. It says, know thy God and know and love thy neighbor. All right, so first we need to love God. The uh, antidote to the fear of man is to love God, which informs the fear of man and gives it a, a right orientation. Uh, we need to love our enemies. Um, as Roger said, the person in the county, maybe that person feels like your enemy. Uh, in Luke 6, 27 and 33, Christ says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. 
and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. So this is the high standard. Uh, it hurts to love enemies. Uh, it's not, it isn't safe, right? We, we don't feel safe loving our enemies. Uh, it's scary to love our enemies. Yet, if we are to obey Jesus and love as he commands us to love, if we are to love others instead of fearing them, we will extend this love even to those who, um, who stand against us, right? The, the hardest thing for us to do at times is to pray for that person who has been, um, for us, this sort of, uh, this, this irritation or this vice or this, um, this, this frustration, right? The, the last thing you want to do is pray for that person. But the Bible calls you to, to, to pray for them. And what that does, it actually works on your own heart. It's good for that person. God hears, he answers, according to his wisdom. But it's good for your own heart, too. It softens your own heart to, to that person as you pray for them. Um, Ed Welch has some really good things to say in the context of loving enemies. He says this, When confronted with enemies, we should go directly to the Psalms if we are if, if we are not sure how to feel or what to say. <clears throat> when we are inclined to take matters into our own hands, the Psalms teach us to trust God. When we would insulate ourselves from pain, they teach us to trust God. Instead of vowing that we will never again move close to another person, they teach us to trust God. Instead of ex- ex- extinguishing hope, the Psalms teach us to trust God. In the Psalms, it was the glory of God that was David's mission, not his own vindication. Right? So we can get frustrated with somebody and then we start praying imprecatory psalms. <clears throat> Lord, destroy them. Fashion their teeth. Put their feet on slippery ground. Um, and we said, what's in the Bible? We ought to pray it. Uh, but when you see those imprecatory psalms, uh, these prayers, as Ed Welch brings out, the heart of these prayers is not one's own um, vindication. It's, he's asking God, do what you've promised to do. Vindicate your holy name against your, your enemies. Um, which, when you think about it, is actually what's going to happen ultimately and finally when, when Christ comes back. But the, the heart of the, these prayers, even these imprecatory prayers in the Psalms, is the, the glory of God, not the glory of the man vindication of God's holy name, not the vindication of the man. So it's not a stick it to him, you know, approach. <clears throat> Welch again goes on to describe what it looks like to love our enemies. And he says, God says that you treat enemies the same way that you treat your loved ones, friends and family. To love in this way, we need both power and discernment. We need power because we are incapable of loving the way that Christ loved us. We need discernment because it is sometimes difficult to know what form love should take. As a result, anytime we are aware that we have specific enemies, we should seek counsel from the church in order to discern how to express that love, end quote. Now, this is an important point. The love for enemies may take on different actions than love for friends. Love for an enemy may include turning them over to earthly authorities if they have broken the law. 
it may mean physical separation to avoid further harm. Um, if you struggle to know what love for your enemy should look like, uh, speak to a, a, a mature Christian friend, speak to your pastors, your elders, to uh, give wisdom and discernment on what that should look like. Because in, in every situation, it, it's not the same. And sometimes it can be hard to discern how to walk through a specific situation. Okay? <clears throat> so we need to love God. We need to love our enemies. We need to love unbelievers. Non-Christians could fit into several of these categories of people. <clears throat> um, it's important to think through and to spend just a minute thinking about how uh, we ought to love the lost. We should pray for them. Uh, we should be prepared to speak the hope that is within us to them. We should be thoughtful towards them and not treat them like uh, gospel projects necessarily. Um, and a culture that grows increasingly hostile to Christians and the gospel, our non-Christian friends, our neighbors, and our enemies need to hear the gospel and see the love of believers to each other and to a dying world. Now, think about um, who, I don't know, a, a, a friend or a coworker or someone in your neighborhood, um, an, an unbeliever. Um, think about them. Think about how you might uh, pray for them, uh, how you might engage with them, an opportunity to engage with them. Ask the Lord to open up a door or grant a situation where you could talk to them about the gospel and that you could uh, pray for them and share the truth with them. That's, that's important for, I think, I think these things adorn the message of, of the gospel. They aren't the gospel, but those good works adorn the gospel. <clears throat> um, our physical family members, we need to pray for them. Uh, it is in this context of family that we first learn to show love and concern, um, even on an earthly level. And it is in this context that we often find the greatest difficulty in showing true love. Often when we think about uh, one another's in scripture um, spoken to uh, to believers to be towards believers um, we, we often uh, sort of apply that let, let's say we have a believing spouse we think about the one the one another scriptures we often want to sort of go out and do that sort of out the world and church and other things but we don't often apply that to the one another who's sleeping next to us Right, they sort of get overlooked and us trying to apply, apply these things. Um, but that's something that needs to happen. Um, we ought to show love to our brothers and sisters. The New, the New Testament is full of how we are to relate to the family of God. In Galatians 6.10, Paul says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are, who are of the household of faith. So one of the ways that, again, we adorn the gospel is in our conduct and our love towards one another in the faith. Okay? <clears throat> so increasingly, we should, we, should, um, have, uh, we should have less fear of men. We should be characterized in our relationships by a fear of God and a love for God. And, um, and uh, Ed, Ed Welch says on this, sort of closing out this point, he says, I have spoken with many people who want to know their spiritual gifts. What's my spiritual gift? What should I be focusing on as, as my spiritual gift? He says, my impression is that this perspective presents a breakdown in the church. 
It reflects a church where we are running around as self-actualizing individuals rather than united and uniting as a God-glorifying community. The church is the place where we should demonstrate um, to a watching world what it means to live in the love of God uh, and uh, the fear of God and a love for people, not a fear for people. Okay. Let's jump down to the next section here. What shape does this loving and serving take? Let me have someone read uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 3 through 7. 1 Corinthians 13, 3 through 7. wants to read that for us. Anybody? All right. Thank you, Pastor. Go for it. Yep. Three to seven. you think of and we talked about this just a little earlier but love for even someone in this situation looks like not you know I love you keep on doing what you're doing down the block but it may look like like we said before turning them over to authorities it may look like giving a strong stop <laughs> don't continue doing that um, because ultimately even in that your love for them is shown in that you're trying to uh, preserve, keep them from um, uh, further uh, harm, not only to the community of people there, but to even them. Because if they do continue in this action, they might end up hurt or in jail, right? So your, your love for them and confronting them is still love shown to them. It doesn't look like keep doing what you're doing, but it looks like stop, right? So I don't know if that person is a believer or unbeliever but um, love doesn't it, it doesn't always take the same form with every person I think in that situation it's you got to stop doing this all right so <clears throat> and anybody else want to oh, ask you so I, I heard a Do. 
really don't believe all the yeah. things, but so, so the, the manifest of the fact that it's doing these things persistently as opposed to an acceptance of all of them. And so I just thought that that was a better way to try to view this and make sure that we're doing it in a persistent way, loving manner. Yeah. Which is necessary at times. Yep. I mean, we always want to speak the truth in love, right? So the truth is being spoken, and it's being spoken in love. So it's not one or the other; it's both, both things. But like how do you get rid of the guilt and think, man, I shouldn't have done that because now you feel you look like taking control of being a bully, you know? Like, yeah. So how do you get rid of the guilt of yes, talking to that yes, person? Yeah. Like, And, and maybe you, you will, that, that doesn't mean it shouldn't have happened. Um, but I think, so if you, it, it depends on why you have the guilt. <laughs> Do you have the guilt because, you know, how you address the person, you were rude to them, you yelled at them, you threw a rock at them, yeah, you should feel guilty. But if that's not the case, if, if you can honestly say before the Lord that you were, you were self-controlled, you were patient, you were clear, you spoke the truth to that person, then um, there doesn't need to be guilt. So the prayer there is, Lord, help me to maybe be more, more bold, more, more clear, um, rather than feeling a sense of, of guilt. Now, if there are areas where you've sinned there, then the answer is to repent and entrust yourself to the Lord, Lord Jesus. Repent of your sins, repent of the ways that you've dishonored God, that you've dishonored your neighbor. Um, ask the Lord's grace and kindness that he would pardon you in Christ and entrust yourself to, to God's mercy in Christ um, if there is genuine guilt there um, if there's if there doesn't need to be guilt there then there's there's nothing to be to be ashamed of at that point you're praying that the Lord would help you have a right perspective on, on those things Yeah, that's good. And with that, you'll be surprised at the results. 
working in people's hearts. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Yep. You never know, man. <clears throat> well, well, we'll end um, here. Just one more thing for you to consider. So this afternoon, sit down and work through 1 Corinthians 13. So work through it maybe on a piece of paper or something and start thinking about these descriptions of love. Think about how you can start applying these characteristics towards those people that you fear. So write them down, pray for these things, ask someone, spouse, roommate, friend, uh, to pray for you and to help you to be watchful in this area, right? Think specifically about those people that you thought about before um, and what, how this applies to the area of love towards these people, um, whether it's at work, whether it's at home life, whether it's church life. Um, and then think about what shape your love ought to take towards this person. Okay? So we'll we'll close on that. That's your that's your homework for this afternoon. All right?
Okay, so we'll, we'll close there. Let me, let me pray for us. Lord, we give you thanks for your word. Um, we thank you that you have given us wisdom in the scriptures, that you've given us uh, a multitude of uh, counsel in the scriptures and in Christian fellowship. We pray that you would uh, help us to be diligent to guard, um, be on guard against uh, the fear of man. Wherever we see it, Lord, help us to have a sharp eye uh, to it, um, to have an eye to the love of our triune God, the power of our triune God. Lord, help us to live rightly before you and to, to fear you above all things. And may that inform how we interact with, with one another and, and, and others. So Lord, give us grace in this. Uh, give us wisdom. Um, give us power by your Holy Spirit to live in step with the gospel. Um, you know the different areas in our, our lives. You know the individual areas of struggle for, for all of us. Lord, we pray that you would penetrate those areas with your word and give us a, a, a better um, uh, vision, a better uh, way forward, um, considering the fear of God over the fear of man. Uh, may you bless us in that, Lord, further sanctify us. Um, bless us as we go into uh, the corporate worship room to, to uh, worship you together. Lord, may you conform us more to the image of your son um, and may you um, cause us to uh, have a deeper affection uh, and love for our triune God. Uh, feed us with all the means of grace given for our soul's nourishment and may you glorify yourself in that. In Christ's name, amen.